This Church Life Today podcast is a production of Redeemer Radio and the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame and is brought to you in part by Notre Dame FCU and our listeners. Welcome to Church Life Today, a production of the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame. I'm your host, Leonard DiLorenzo. Roy Pettifice is a licensed counselor at Pax Renewal Center in Lafayette, Louisiana. Roy studied ministry and spirituality at the Pontifical University of St. Thomas Aquinas and holds a master's in mental health counseling from the University of Louisiana. Roy has worked with youth and young adults for more than 20 years as minister, as teacher, school administrator, school counselor, and now as a counselor in private practice. Roy speaks all over the country and he hosts a popular podcast called Today's Teenager. His most recent book, Helping Teens with Stress, Anxiety, and Depression, is available from Ave Maria Press. And today he joins us on Church Life Today. Roy, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me, brother. Very glad to be here. Roy, congratulations on publishing your new book, Helping Teens with Stress, Anxiety, and Depression. And I know we're going to talk about how to help teens, but first, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about why teens are stressed, anxious, and depressed today from your own observations and work? And I don't know if there's more than that. Let us know. Yeah, that's a great question. And um, it's asked often of me and, and others in the mental health profession. I guess I would start by answering and saying that it's not, even though I'm seeing it, there's, a, there's mountains of you know, research to substantiate that, that young people today legitimately are more stressed than, than let's just say our generation, I'm Gen Xer, mm-hmm. uh, w- when I was their age. Um, we've got meta studies and meta research to, to substantiate that. So we really do believe they're under more stress. So why is that? And I look at it through a spiritual lens. And one of the things that I see that not only affects them, but I think it affects our, our whole world is that our society, especially in the United States, no longer really coheres around the Judeo-Christian ethic. Mm. And and that was a source of stability. So when life got tough, when things fell apart in life, our society there was a there was a structure, there was a container. You know, we reverenced Sundays. You know, in Louisiana, we had blue. We still have blue light laws in Louisiana where mm. you can't buy alcohol on Sunday. But it no longer coheres, and that provided a container. It provided a sense of security, and that's no longer there. We really don't. For some, it is. But as a whole, our, our world does not really revolve around the Jesus. So that's one. Secondly, media. Media in two ways. One, the media itself um, and what young people can do with it in social media and exchanging with it and the fear of missing out that comes with that. Mm-hmm. We call it the false, false attribution error. They're looking at their friends thinking that their lives are so much more interesting than theirs is and it's probably not true. Uh, and then obviously the media in terms of their exposure. Like kids are very much aware that they are in danger in a brick and mortar school. Like they are aware that someone could come into their school and open up violence. Like that's on their conscious mind. Right, right. It was their unconscious. So you got terror, you got a uncivil political climate in our country today. You've got lots of stuff going on with the family system that the family is not this real cohesive unit that we could say this is the traditional family, mom, dad, two kids, four kids, whatever. That doesn't really exist anymore. And then perhaps one of the biggest, and we draw this out in the book, is the wholesale exodus that we're seeing, this mass exodus of folks from organized religion without really understanding how much psychological 
and emotional security as well as obviously spiritual security that that gives us. You know, it's, and I don't. I think the anxiety rates are skyrocketing at the same rate people are leaving organized religion, hmm. which I find an incredible correlation. Hmm. <laughs> and you know, the irony there perhaps is that 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 move out of organized religion seems like a move into a sort of free space, like it's a type of liberation. You're no longer yeah, hemmed in or confined, right. but you're seeing something of the opposite. Instead of being freed, exactly. you're actually bound right. by these conditions of anxiety. Is that right? That's exactly right. And any creative will tell you that they will really do their best work within boundaries. Like mm. that, It's a myth that freedom is, is this state that exists without boundaries. True freedom, and John Paul II made that absolutely clear, right, exists when we're in a container and we have boundaries, and that's exactly what it is. Mm. And they're not finding it, and they're getting more and more and more anxious. Yeah, I think um, it was. I think whole. it was. You know, speaking of creatives, I think it was Louis Armstrong who said that jazz, which to a lot of people might just sound like you know, you make a sound here, make a sound there, any way you want. But he said jazz is extraordinary creativity wrapped in extraordinary discipline. So what you're Ooh, talking about there, I love it. isn't that great? So I love that. <laughs> John Paul II, who's obviously a jazz fan, I imagine, um, is pulling <laughs> that out too. That you know, freedom and the responsibility, the structure allows you to be really free to improvise within That's a right. set of kind of standard moves. That's right. So you mentioned, you know, the media and this exodus from religion. What do you see that's kind of typical of maybe from previous generations, though you weren't, you know, practicing in previous generations, but what would you see as typical of adolescence or late adolescence that might have been the case 40 years ago and still the case today? Typical in terms of what might what what might have been a stressor then. Yeah, that the stressors have... then, right. Yeah, yeah. So let's just take a breakup, your garden variety breakup. Mm -hmm. You know, kids dated. Well, one of the things that was different then, that this is a good example because we can make a few points from it. Okay. So I didn't, I didn't have a girlfriend in high school, but maybe you did and others do, right? That happens. Or in middle school, they have a significant other, whatever that is, right? Mm -hmm. So what we did not have to communicate and for us to get close we had to go and use the telephone that was on the wall and the limited amount that we may have saw them in school, right? Yeah. These kids in a period of three months can get closer and have more communication because of social media and technology than it would have. It would have taken us three years to get as, and I don't want to use the word intimacy. There's a lot of knowing and being known, but I'm mm. not sure how much connection is really happening there. Yeah. So they get this sense, like I'm really close to this person. And then it's, it's the breakup happens and it's a free for all. Yeah. And so what didn't happen with us was one, in many places, we lived in the village, like our community was the village. And so people kept an eye on kids. All our kids were all our kids. That's not the case today in many, many places. We don't really live in the village. And there's really parents are busy. We got more parents working. And so kids come home at the end of the day, and they're not necessarily processing it with mom and dad. A lot of kids go home, they have a breakup, and they go home, and they're going straight on social media watching the ex post um, revenge pictures right. and things like that. Right. That just didn't exist 40 years ago. Right. Um, well, so part so, of what was there, say, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, it sounds like is there was actually friction in these relationships. Like you had to do the work to get to know somebody, it. right? So the friction of conversation, <laughs> yeah. the friction of face-to-face -face interaction, yeah. and maybe part of what's been taken away is that friction, you get so much access without any of the work and even the awkwardness of having That's to right. get to know somebody. So what, That's right. 
what do you find is the importance of that? Well, let's just put it on face-to-face interaction. Like, yeah, I imagine many of the young people you work with are perhaps deprived of some of that face-to-face interaction, and you're no in a position to to do that with them. What do you what do you no see question. as the importance of that? Great question, as usual. <laughs> um, boy, you got a lot of really good questions. The um, well, I, re- I read a good book. That, How about that? Yours. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Well, what's happening is that, you know, we, we always say in psychology, neurons that fire together, wire together, mm-hmm. right? And so they're becoming, they're spending a lot less time in person, face-to-face communication. So those neurons, right, the processes, the neural grooves, the pathways, all of that stuff isn't getting an opportunity to really solidify a strong social skill set that would enable someone confidently to interact interpersonally with another live human being. And Mm -hmm. what's happening is that those neurons are getting wired together technologically. They're very proficient there. And again, it removes a lot of the awkwardness. The reason that the online inhibition effect is real, we will tend to say and do things online that we might not otherwise in person. Right. And so um, those, you know, that is absolutely a factor. No question. And so what, what we're seeing is we have kids who have less social skills there. And yet for many of them, they have to be in an environment, whether it's school or church, youth group, wherever. They've got to be in an environment where they have to interact interpersonally. And it's causing their anxiety. It's mm-hmm. one of the big factors that's elevating the anxiety pool for them. They just are nervous, like they don't know how to make small talk. They don't know how to read facial expressions very often, consistently. We used to say this about kids who had some developmental you know, challenges and whatnot. We're seeing this with most teenagers today. Mm. You know, it's a minority of teens who you look at and you talk with and, man, this kid's got some real solid social skills. I'd say that's probably less than 10% of teenagers out there today. Wow. Like I have a mirror right next to my chair and I ask the team, show me the face that Julie made when you thought she was mad at you. And that face does not indicate to me that Julie could have had, you know, gas or flatulence for all I knew. (laughs) But the teenager automatically, right, Uh goes to the, takes that ambiguous data and draws (laughs) from it the worst possible conclusion. Oh, boy. (laughs) So you're listening to Church Life Today on Redeemer Radio. We're talking with, with Roy Pettifis, licensed counselor who specializes in working with teens. He's the author of Helping Teens with Stress, Anxiety, and Depression. So we talked a little bit, Roy, about what the stressors are and uh, some of the things you're seeing, but also what the, the research is backing up in terms of, you know, what is causing or stirring up this anxiety in young people. If this is yeah. a little... F- a little sampling of what's going on. What do we do? So you wrote a book called yeah. Helping Teens, and it's for it's not directed towards teens, and certainly not directed towards other professional counselors, but really to people like me, parents, uh, yeah. maybe pastors, maybe people who work Ministers, with young people. Yeah. Where do we get started in helping teens? Yeah, and the book is absolutely written for pastors, ministers, and parents, educators. So that I want to be real clear on that. Those are the four groups I had in mind when I was writing the book. So, well, the first thing is understanding that, and I wrote about this in my last book, understanding, and, and adults need to get this in their head, and it's hard because teens don't tell this to us, but what they really want is a meaningful relationship with adults. Teens mm-hmm. today are really hungering, yet that comes as a shock to many adults because of teenagers, nonverbal behaviors, and all the other stuff. And adults will quickly give up 
because they're not getting positive reinforcement in their right relational ministry or, or whatever it is. So we tend to want to back off. And yet what we really need to do is continue to take the initiative, not to become like helicopter, but to take the initiative and engage teams to talk with them. So the biggest chapter in the book is on communicating with them, right? Mm-hmm. Because that tends to be the conduit for, you know, a lot of what happens in the context of relationships, whether it's family or otherwise. Um, so how do we talk with them? Mainly, how do we listen? What do we want to listen for? You know, the value of good questions and how to handle that. So that's one, just to be, you know, a calm, non-anxious presence for them and to be available to them. That would be one. And there's a lot of work for us adults in that and being the calm, non-anxious oh. presence, right? Like mm-hmm. we have to do mm-hmm. some some work ourselves in order to really help teens. It's not enough to show up. It's how we show up, right? That's right, especially parents. You know, it's, it, I don't get really you know, wrapped up when my kids are in my, my clients are melting down, but I do get wrapped up when my son is. Right. And so it's really, and we talk about that and mm. how difficult that, especially there's a, a special section just for parents about how to, how to emotionally ch- bracket your stuff so that you can be a non-anxious presence. Otherwise you would only reinforce the anxiety, the stress and the worry. Mm-hmm. You know, your kid, kids need to look at parents and adults and think, okay, they've kind of got it all together. Right. They need to know that we know we don't have it all together, right. but they need us to act <laughs> like we have it all together. Right? And we Especially do that work with other people, not with our kids, like in terms of getting Correct. our stuff together. Right. Absolutely right. You want to have process that with someone else. So, okay. you know, the first wave of intense emotion, process that with someone else, and then be there with your kid. And most of the time, they don't need you to fix what they're going through. Mm-hmm. They have within them what they need to fix it. Most of the time, if you listen to them and listen well to them, they will, they will get out of crisis mode and their brain will then begin to look for options. And we can help them with that, but they don't need us to go in and fix the problem. Mm. They need us to work with them and help them to solve their own problem. Um, or whatever it is, and work through the situation, or to cope with the situation, because a lot of these problems can't be solved. And teens know that, like some bullying situations can't be solved. Well, how do we cope with it? How do we deal with it? Because there's no way for us to go in and necessarily, maybe there's not a way to make the situation different. Yeah, and I was was, was struck by, you know, some of the anecdotes you were sharing in the book, like with um, some more of the high achieving young people who self-describe as anxious, but you also kind of broaden the consideration for them to say, you know, what are the what are the positive sides of that feeling of pressure that you have? And they'll, mm-hmm. they'll articulate that, you know, I get stuff done when I feel that pressure. And so you, yeah. it's not to say, well, just accept all the anxiety, but it seems like you're, you're leading them to see, well, you actually probably don't want to be completely stress-free because the stress is actually part of who you are and it's part of what drives you. So it's mm-hmm. more about finding that balance and tension with it. That's right. That is, a, that is exactly right. And some kids... And I don't know about you, but I know I do. I need more stress than the average person Mm. um, for fulfillment. Like Mm -hmm. I don't need I have a danger zone and my needle can get pinned because I'm an all or nothing personality. But these perfectionistic kids tend to be like that. Right. They tend to have this all or nothing. And they're afraid if they cut back just a little bit to a healthy level of stress, that the needle is going to go all the way to the other side. What they don't realize is that most of those kids really aren't hardwired 
for that to even be possible. Yeah. Like they could maybe do it for a couple of days, but they would just go crazy and they would be back stressing. And, right. um, but when we honor that anxiety, right. That, mm. Cause that person doesn't want to let it go. Most people don't realize that they like their anxiety on mm-hmm. some level, that it works for them. Fear of failure drives us. Um, stress causes us to grow. Obviously there's good stressors and bad stressors, but when we, when we acknowledge that, that anxiety has a positive role, as Dr. Phil would always say that it does work for you on some level, Mm -hmm. then that person will be more apt to be able to look at the dark side of it, Mm -hmm. you know, the shadow side. No one, no one will let you go to their brokenness until they first experience that you see their blessing. Mm -hmm. And so that's with everything, you know, just to be able to, and anxiety is easy. Depression's a little different, but with anxiety and most of the depression that we're seeing is coming from anxiety. You know, you get a sympathetic nervous system that gets taxed, it's exhausting and depressing, worrying all the time. Yeah. It will affect mood yeah. for sure. You're listening to Church Life Today on Redeemer Radio. We're talking with Roy Pettifees, licensed counselor who specializes in working with teens and author of Helping Teens with Stress, Anxiety, and Depression. So, Roy, we were just talking about what to do, you know, for parents, pastors, youth leaders to help teens. And you brought up the first point being understanding that teens want meaningful relationships with adults and engaging in that. Where can we go? Where can we go beyond that? Yeah, so the second one would be, which we kind of already talked about, Mm -hmm. would be to utilize the tools of faith. That You know, Jesus was a brilliant psychologist, and, you know, the revelations and the devotions and all of these things that we have that our faith is so rich in. Um, And the book goes into mindfulness, and I don't know that that's something that I want to discuss in the interview, but there there are some mindfulness that we've always called contemplation. Mindfulness isn't a new thing. Mm-hmm. We've had mindfulness for thousands of years, but it's what we're calling it now, so whatever. Right. Um, getting into the body. Mm-hmm. When your kid is in their head, when kids are in their head, they're dead. Mm-hmm. And so anxiety, we want to get them into their bodies. And as much as we Catholics don't think that we have this real bodily, we tend to be very cerebral. Our religion brings us into the body with all the smells and the senses, right? One of the most popular devotions, the rosary, has you touching beads. Right. There's a, there's a re- reason for that. You know, it's, it's, it, you, it helps you to be able to stay focused. Those are great devotions for anxious kids, believe it or not. Mm. Whether, you know, and again, your kid might not have a Marian devotion, but I would, it, it, you could even use the beads and just have them, you know, just say, hey, Lord Jesus, help me. You could do a divine mercy chaplet, but that helps. It's a, it's a real awesome tool. Adoration helps. Mission experiences help. Going to Mass on Sunday helps. Even if your teen really doesn't want to go now again, and I realize that in today's church culture with all the abuse and stuff and the scandal that even more folks are having issues, but, but you know, at the end of the day, so if, if there's healthy religion, you know, where you guys worship, and if you have access to that, then you know that I would never encourage someone to go to a place that, you know, they feel like is abusive or are not healthy. And right. I know that there are churches like that, but the vast majority aren't, you know, they're really healthy and that helps. That helps young people because even though they don't consciously, it does the same thing to us. We don't consciously pick up on all that symbolism and the archetypes and all of the stuff that's happening in the liturgy and the movements, right? But they speak to us on an unconscious level, mm-hmm. and those things communicate to us that there is resurrection after suffering and death. Mm. Each Sunday we go and we plug into the Paschal Mystery, and on an unconscious level, hopefully consciously one day, right? 
But at least for young people and for us, we walk out of there and something in our soul and in our heart has been spoken to that lets us know there is hope. Hmm. That resurrection might be a long time, but it is coming. Indeed. (laughs) (laughs) You may be in the tomb a while, but it's coming. Now, again, I know that's very esoteric, but, you know, I— I believe that, you know, yeah. on Sundays when I don't want to go to church, you know, I go, man, I, I, I need, I never feel terrible walking out. Yeah. yeah really. Yeah. I usually feel much better. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, you've shared that, you know, a lot of your passion for working with young people is because you've borne, you personally have borne some of the wounds that they currently sure. bear and you've carried some of the burdens. Could you tell us a little bit about where your passion for working with young people really came from? Yeah, you know, as a teen, I, I struggled a lot. I had a heroic mom who was a single mom, like mm-hmm. like a significant percentage of young people in America mm-hmm. who were being raised by single parents. Mm-hmm. So she worked a lot of jobs to give me a good education to get out of poverty because I was born in poverty. And um, she was never home uh, because she was working. I was a latchkey kid, turned to food as a young person. And so I was morbidly obese by like eighth grade. Hmm. I graduated from high school at over 500 pounds. So, um, so I probably had some genetics, you know, Mm -hmm. my mom struggled with depression, uh, but the isolation, the loneliness, the unintentional neglect, um, the bullying I experienced, um, was, uh, just all fed into my anxiety and depression. And I know that if I'd had someone like me when, when I was a teenager, um, that, that would have been incredibly helpful to me. Mm. Um, I was, I was happy and sad, you know, in my mid twenties when I discovered counseling that I, I could have used it 10 years earlier. Mm. Um, and the earlier we can intervene, the better, you know, the better it is for that person going throughout their life. So that's part of it. And I just want to help these young people. Like I like them. Yeah. I, just, I like teenagers, <laughs> you know, and they know that they yeah. know that, yeah. you know, and, um, it's just fun working with them, and um, I, yeah, I get it. Yeah. How important was it for so, you to move from, you know, being a passionate mentor or even a passionate minister to becoming a licensed professional counselor for the work you wanted to do? Wow. Boy, you are like, you are like, man, ringing it. Man, <laughs> great question. Um, that was tough, and I miss it. Uh, because as I tell the teachers, and I was in a Catholic school, right, as a campus minister. So I did teaching and retreats and ministry, and um, I miss it. And I always tell the teachers and campus ministers that they get to see a side of the kids that I don't, and I get to see a side that they don't. Right. Um, and I'm, But I miss that side of it. Um, yet I knew that, you know, I was doing lots and lots of retreats and ministry, and I never had enough time to have the one-on-ones with young people that I wanted to. Right and to walk them through it. I felt like I just kept slapping band-aids on it. And um, I saw young people who weren't getting counseling because a lot of Catholics were so distrustful of the social sciences. Mm. Um, and um, and I, I've always loved psychology, so it was very difficult to move into it, which is one of the reasons my speaking is more of a ministry, even though I speak about 99% mental health mm-hmm. stuff. I do a Lenten mission here and there, and those are awesome. Right. I get to get my minister back on. <laughs> <laughs> get the Southern man going. I get it. I get it. That's, That's right. Good. That's, That's right. Good. That is right. Well, you know, for— but, you know, I do, I do see myself as a minister. You know, I yes, really feel like leave a, a lot of—no, no, 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 no. Yeah. No, I yeah. do see it. Yeah, for sure. Well, for, you know, people like me, parents, uh, or maybe even ministers or— uh, school teachers who are listening and, you know, we want to be 
we want to learn how to to engage our young people better. Um, we want to be able to listen better and to be these guides. How? What are some of the signs for us when we should really know that it's time to engage some professional help for our young people, when it's time to call you uh, and to get yeah. a young person into counseling? Yeah. Um, you know, you've got parents who, I, I see folks when they usually come in, 90% of the time are in one of two places. You've got the folk, the guy who comes in um, and they're, uh, they're bringing in the car and it's completely demolished and they're like, oh it's just got a scratch on it. You can fix it up. Or you got the kid who comes in with a scratch and the parent thinks that they're completely demolished. So that, right, that, that, that happens a lot. Um, what was your question? I forgot. Yeah. So, so you know, it's okay. Like for parents, like how can, when do we know that it's time to give you a call? Most parents override their intuition. So let Mm. me start there. When a parent, parents override their intuition because they're afraid that it's wrong. When when your parental intuition is going on, you need to listen to that until that you can re- reconcile that voice, like pay attention to that. Most parents override it and end up because they don't want to go through all that it takes in order to get them in. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the right time for kids to come in is, is usually before the kid is ready to come in. Wow. Um, <laughs> to That's address a tough the, trick, the issue. Huh? It is. Yeah. And it's tough to get them in. And I get that. I get it. Yeah. But s- sleeping too much, Anything that's out of the norm for your kid, okay. you know, like sleeping too much, too little. If, kids, if a kid is coming to a parent and telling a parent that they're concerned about your kid, that, that's not a red flag. That flag is on fire. Okay. Um, what it takes for kids to overcome their loyalty to one another, to reach out to an adult and say, yeah. hey, I'm worried about your kid, it's yeah. a big deal. So, like, that's a huge deal. Um, grades dropping. When grades start dropping or changes and something's going on, right. it might not be clinical. Now, if a parent can't seem to figure out, and I do this a lot, um, if they can't figure out how to be able to assess it with the kid, a lot of what I, I'll meet with the parent, and like I tell folks, a couple hundred dollars, is, your peace of mind is worth a couple hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to be able to sit, even because most counselors are going to want to meet with the parents first. Right. And so now you've got a coaching session and a consultation, and w- let's see if we can't coach you up to be able to go in there and get more information and, or maybe, you know, bring the kid in. So yeah. it's, um, yeah. So if in doubt, like go sit down with someone and talk with, talk with a professional. Well, Roy, we're about out of time. So why don't we just follow up on that? And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of anyone who's listening and they say, you know what, that's a parent. And they say, that's me. I probably do need to at least reach out to someone. How does yeah. a parent go about do that? Like what is, what's the first step? Who do we call? Yeah. So one, if you go to todaysteenager.com, we've got at least two blog posts and videos on that process that demystifies that process, Mm -hmm. tells you what questions to ask, explains all of the different options in the psychological field. I think it's just incredibly helpful. That's at todaysteenager.com, which you run. Dot com. That's right. And then you can just Google how to find a good counselor. Mm -hmm. And if you guys have show notes, I can send you the link and you can link it up in the show notes. I'm not sure how you guys do it. But but they can go todaysteenager.com, how to find a good counselor. And it's all there. Well, Roy, thanks and for it's spend- in the book. Yeah, and it's so, in the yeah. book. And that book, again, <laughs> for those of you who are listening, is called Helping Teens with Stress, Anxiety, and Depression. You can find Roy Pettifees online at RoyPettifees.com. And Pettifees, because I know you're wondering, is spelled P-E-T-I-T, like petite, F-I-L-S. 
Roy, thanks so much for Excellent. spending the time with us Thank today. Thank you, guys. It's been awesome thanks, to have Lenny. you. Thanks, Lenny. I appreciate it, All man. All right. Thanks, Thank everybody you. out there for joining us on Church Life today.